Canada basketball and Kelly Olynyk are Olympic bound. Discussing that with Canada Sportsnet play-by-play broadcaster Dan Shulman on Roundball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz, NMLS number 3112, equal housing lender. The FIBA World Cup was fun, and the Jazz had five players in it with an assistant coach, Sean Sheldon. I'd invite you to go back, learn about Sean. He's going to be on the staff this year. He's a big part of the staff. He's one of the trusted guys in Will Hardy's circle. But the World Cup was legit. It was tiring. Yes, because I was one of the basketball sickos who was waking up at 2 a.m. to catch Finland against Australia in that opening game. I'm watching Dante Exum. I'm watching former jazz players. I'm watching current jazz players. And all the jazz players had moments to shine. For Walker, he got the start in the last game against Canada. He got a big run to go out there and play. But Simone with Italy showed so much of what he could do, like him driving to the basket against the U.S., him having a step back mid-range two, has me thinking, does Simone have a bag? Is he a bucket? Is Simone Fontecchio a problem? Now, he's not going to be able to do exactly what he does for the Italian national team on the Jazz. But the confidence that you get from playing with your national team can bleed into what you do during an NBA season. Lowry is proof of concept of that last season. His Eurobasket performance put something in Will Hardy's mind. We need to make Finland with the Jazz. Lowry needs to play the way that he does for his national team with his club team. And it birthed a most improved player campaign. So you see what Simone means to Italy. You see what Jordan Clarkson means to the Philippines? Basketball crazy Philippines? That was unreal, the atmospheres that you saw for this World Cup. They had Carmelo Anthony. They had Sue Bird. Dirk Nowitzki was at some games. They bought into basketball. It's their favorite sport. I was hearing Brian Windhorse on the Hoop Collective say they have not just one, but two NBA stores in the Philippines. And for this tournament to be in a basketball mad place, and for Jordan Clarkson to be the star on that team, to go for 20 points in four minutes, or whatever it was, it's so cool to see. And of course, like after the World Cup and you see the United States not be able to medal, Everybody's taking an autopsy. What should USA Basketball do? What a crime it was not to play Walker Kessler. And yeah, he probably should have gotten more of an opportunity with the way some of the things went. They couldn't grab a rebound. But even like Will Hardy has talked about how rebounding is one thing that the Jazz need to work on. And their entire front line was in the World Cup. Kelly Olynyk, Lowry Markin, and Walker Kessler. But USA Basketball is going to be fixed if the Avengers come. If LeBron, Anthony Davis, Bam Adebayo, the whole crew gets there, it'll fix this. There's no real autopsy that has to be underdone for USA Basketball. For them to finish fourth on a team with so little 
international experience. I actually find this to be, in some ways, impressive. Remember when Donovan and Jason Tatum were on the team in 2019 and all they could do was seventh? And I was getting mad about Greg Popovich and the way that he was playing the U.S.? Walker being a part of this program, it's going to help him for 2028. It's 2024. It's Paris. That's going to be tough for him to break the squad. But as a long-term play and as a point to get him into the group right now, good experience. It was a good experience to get him that start against Canada to finish it. So a good tournament and good to get basketball because it's... It's right around the corner. It's almost here. You can feel training camp coming. The guys are just getting into market, and they're playing, and they're shooting in the practice facility, and we'll be able to talk about some games in the next month or so. Five stars. Nice reviews. That's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. Kelly Olenek. He was 15-6 and six in the World Cup. So much leadership. The primal screams were necessary. He was huge for Canada. He was almost the metronome for that squad. When he had a good game, they would win. When he didn't, they would slag off a little bit. Ultimately, driven by Shea Gilgis-Alexander, but the leadership that Kelly Olynyk provided, that's why I had to get Dan Schulman on the podcast. Showman, you know him from college basketball, ESPN. He's worked with Holly Rowe. You'll get a Holly Rowe story at the end. And he's a play-by-play man for Sportsnet, Canada basketball, and this tournament. He was waking up in the middle of the night just like you and me. So we'll hear his perspective on what this means for Canada and the program. Because I can't wait for next year. Kelly Olympics. It's happening and Canada's a threat on the international stage. You'll hear why, and you'll hear all about Kelly's experience with the team, Jordy Fernandez, the head coach. Please enjoy Dan Schulman on Roundball Roundup on utahjazz.com. When it comes time to move, it's always a hassle. Loading everything in the truck, hoping the priceless antique from your mother doesn't break, and trying to juggle the kids and dog in the middle of it all is enough to drive anyone crazy. But it doesn't have to be that way. The friendly, background-checked movers at Bailey's Moving and Storage have the expertise to move your family across town or even around the world. So when it's time to move, think Bailey's Moving and Storage. Call today at 801-218-2640 or check them out online at baileysallied.com. We now have more Canadian players in the NBA than any country on earth other than the United States, obviously. Um, And it's been a bit of a challenge for one reason or another to get people to commit sometimes, which happens. It happens in the U.S. It happens in other countries as well. But there's been this kind of buildup for Canada about can they get over the hump? Can they do it? In 2015, they played in the semifinals of the FIBA Americas and the top two went to um, the Olympics, and they lost a heartbreaker on a foul with three-tenths of a second and left two free throws. They lose the game to Venezuela. Um, they're getting ready for the World Cup in 2019, and Kelly Olenek is going to play and gets injured in a friendly game, in a tune-up game against Nigeria. He can't play in the World Cup. In 2021, uh, remember COVID pushed the Olympics back. In 2021, 
They play in a FIBA qualifier in Victoria, British Columbia on home soil. And Thomas Sadoransky of the Czech Republic and the Chicago Bulls goes nuts and single-handedly beats them. And they had R.J. Barrett and Andrew Wiggins on that team. They lose in overtime. Again, if they win, they go to the final. They had already pounded Greece. They probably, Greece didn't have Giannis. They probably would have made it. Like heartbreak after heartbreak. So to go to this World Cup, and then they get, they're in the pool of death too in this World Cup. Like at, at the Canada basketball mindset is, oh man, what now? And they play France in the first game, the defending Olympic silver medalists and top, you know, one of the top ranked nations in the world. And they don't look good. They're down. And then they just blow them out in the second half. They blow out Lebanon as expected. In their third game, they're down like 10 to Latvia. And then they come back and blow them out. And it's like, this is great. They're going, they're going. And then they lose the game they couldn't afford to lose. They lose to Brazil in the second round. And the loss to Brazil, a team they should have beaten, meant they had to beat Spain. If they don't beat Spain, they're not qualifying for the Olympics at the World Cup. They're down 10 at the half. They come back and tie in the third quarter and then go down 12 by the end of the third quarter and then somehow find a way to come back and win that game. That clinches a spot in the Olympics. That was the biggest of all the things that they did was clinching a direct spot into the Olympics out of the World Cup. Um, then they go on and they keep playing and eventually they beat the United States for bronze, which was fantastic as well for Canadian basketball fans. And we all get this wasn't the A team for the U.S. and we all know three guys were sick and didn't play. But this is Canada, right? It's like, um, it, you know, this isn't hockey. This is basketball. And it's very cool and very fun for Canadian basketball fans to see how this program has grown and that there's buy-in. Kelly Olenek and Dwight Powell have been the two guys for years and years and years who are still part of the program, who have always played. But to see Shea Gilgis-Alexander, to see Dylan Brooks, to see Nikhil Alexander-Walker, to see Lou Dort, um, you know, those are really good players. And, and there are more, hopefully, who could be on the team in Paris. So sorry for the long answer, but the whole thing was just a huge, wonderful experience for Canadian basketball fans. And it sets the table for how huge that this was a moment for Canadian basketball. I want to ask specifically about Kelly Olenek because, you know, jazz fans were watching him in yeah. this tournament. And I think you shared the video on Twitter of his pregame speech ahead of one of the games. How important is Captain Kelly Olenek when he's on yeah. his team? Because he's crucial for the jazz. But in yeah. this scenario, it, it means even more. He's huge. Um, I don't think I shared it. I know I've watched it about 100 times because I absolutely love it. Um, so Kelly, to my knowledge, uh, first played for Canada like at a U18 tournament in 2008. Like he's done this whenever he's been able to. There was one time, as I told you, he got hurt. And there was one time, unfortunately, it was like his free agency summer. And I get it. You, you know, he had to stay healthy and sign a contract and that sort of thing. But, you know, part of his speech was some people have been waiting this for a couple of years. He goes, some of us have been doing this for a long time, many, many years, or been waiting for this for many, many years. And I'm cleaning it up, as you know, because you've seen it. It was, it was said uh, quite explicitly and quite powerfully. Uh, but he and Dwight Powell have been the guys, Kelly, the longest uh, of anybody. Corey Joseph, too, played for Canada forever, but was not. Oh, he was at training camp, but was not on this team. So Kelly was the captain of the team. Like each team actually had a captain and Kelly was the captain of Team Canada. And he was the guy um, in that huddle who got them fired up. And I, when I watched that, like I wanted to run through a wall, man. And I'm 56 years old. I don't run through walls, but um, it was so great. And how could you not get fired up? And this was that, I think that was before the Spain game. 
I believe. That was the one. It wasn't the U.S. game. It was before the Spain game, the one that they won, and, and that got them to spot into the Olympics. And that was their biggest goal, was to was to qualify for the Olympics. And, you know, coming from him, it was very it was very raw. It was very loud. It was very powerful. And it, if I, you know, had been Shea or Nikhil or Lou Dort or um, any of the, uh, you know, the other younger NBA guys, uh, on the team. I mean, that would have really resonated with me because Kelly Olenek's played in more countries than I can count, uh, representing Canada all over the world in some games that nobody but the hardcore weirdos like myself ever get a chance to see. You wake up at three in the morning and is it on the zone or do I need to call my son and get an illegal stream? Like, how do I see this game? That was the other cool thing up here is the network that I work for, both for the Blue Jays and for this, uh, Sportsnet, they, a couple of years ago, did a deal with Canada Basketball. These games were on national television, all of them. Um, and, and that's different for people. And that raised the awareness of this team and this program and what they're trying to do. So um, Kelly takes center stage. He's a good NBA player. He has been, I think he's got 10 years in the league, if I'm not mistaken. But he's even better at FIBA. Um, you know, he doesn't mind the contact, and there's contact in FIBA. He can shoot the ball, and that helps in FIBA. You can run offense through him. Um, he's, he's a very good FIBA player and he played a lot of important minutes for Canada. One of the most unique players that I have had the privilege of watching because he's always pump faking. He's always pretending to pass and he looks excessively Canadian with the hair and the beard. Yes, he absolutely is. Um, and he's from, you know, he's from Kamloops, British Columbia. Like, uh, I mean, if you don't know Kelly, if you're American, you've never heard of Kamloops, British Columbia, unless you know Kelly Olenek. Um, his dad was a coach, like he, he grew up. In this, he told a great story about when he was eight years old watching the 2000 Olympics, watching Steve Nash compete for Canada. They finished seventh. I think they went, it was one of, again, it was kind of classic Team Canada. They go like four and one in the opening round, and then it's into the quarterfinals. Eight of the top 12, eight of the top eight of the 12 advanced to the quarterfinals. And Canada's now like a two seed or something because they've gone four and one and they lose uh, in the quarterfinals. So they had, I, uh, maybe they were five and one. They wind up like five and two and finished seventh. Like, how does that happen? But uh, eight-year-old Kelly Olenek, and he told the story to uh, our reporter who was there on site after the Spain game. He was at his aunt's house. I can't remember her name, but he was at his aunt's house watching Steve Nash and Team Canada compete in 2000. Like, this has been coursing through his veins for his entire life. And so, you know, the fact that this happened, because like four years from now, who knows? Kelly, I think, is 32, 33, something like that. So, this might have been it for Kelly Olenek. So the the fact that he was able to to help this team get over the hump is wonderful. Have you seen the growth of Canadian basketball? Because I'm sure it it filters into your other responsibilities with ESPN, seeing how many yeah. college players are coming from Canada. Yeah. Well, I'll go back in time. So let's let's go to the 1970s, shall we? And um, I liked playing basketball. My dad was a good player. I was a mediocre player, but I liked playing. So we, you know, probably because of my dad, we had a basket at the house. We had a hoop. Nobody had a hoop at their house. Nobody. And, and I played as much road hockey as any other Canadian kid on the driveway and on the street and all that. But, like, I'd come home and there'd be kids I didn't know showing up, like, to play basketball as I got a little bit older because nobody else had a hoop. It, was just, it just wasn't a thing back then. Um, you, you know, it was hockey, hockey, hockey. And then the Blue Jays show up in 1977. Now it's hockey, hockey, baseball. And then the Raptors show up in 1995 and that and the Grizzlies, too. I, I don't want to discount the Grizzlies, although they're now in Memphis. They were in Vancouver for a number of years. So now we've got the NBA in Canada. That's huge. And then Steve Nash 
shows up. That's huge to have a Canadian player that good because there have been very good Canadian players before him. Leo Routens being one of them, a former first round pick, played at Syracuse. Um, but generally, you would have two or three Canadians in the NBA, and they'd be maybe rotation guys, bench guys. You didn't have a lot of great players. Rick Fox is another notable Canadian. He played for us at the World Championship way, way, way back when. Um, so Steve Nash is a part of it. But then in, in another way, Vince Carter is a big part of it. Now, not Canadian, obviously, but he gets drafted by the Raptors, and he turns into a, a, a megastar, a monster, a superstar. And every kid in Toronto now, in addition to wanting to play hockey or baseball, is saying, man, that Vince is pretty cool. That Steve Nash is pretty cool. And I think that's what started it. And it just kind of has grown over the years. And, and you're right. When, when I started at ESPN, which was in the mid-90s, in the mid-90s and into the early 2000s, I didn't see Canadian players. There might have been, you know, uh, there, were, there were always a couple Ivy League guys and a couple players like at Niagara, Canisius, up near Buffalo, up near, you know, Canada, Niagara Falls that sort of thing. But there weren't a lot of great Canadian players. And then it just, you know, it started coming. I mean, uh, Tristan Thompson and Corey Joseph show up at Texas. They both go on to long NBA careers. Anthony Bennett turns into a number one overall pick. Andrew Wiggins, a number one overall pick. Um, Melvin Edsham, who was the yeah. eighth or ninth man on this Canadian team, wins Big 12 player of the year at Iowa State. And and then it just explodes. You know, Dylan Brooks at Oregon, Shea Gilgisala, well, Jamal Murray, too. We haven't even mentioned Jamal Murray's, and he didn't play on this team, but I believe he'll be there at the Olympics. You know, Jamal goes to Kentucky, and then Shea Gilgis-Alexander goes to Kentucky, and on and on and on. And, and it has exploded. And they always make fun of me at ESPN, because when we go to a practice or a shoot-around the day of or the day before a game, like, they know if there's a Canadian on the team. The first question I'm going to ask the SID is, hey, can I go over and meet JP? JP's Canadian. Can I go talk to him for a little bit? And and um, it's I'm just so transparent about it. It's not even funny. But uh, um, it's very cool. It's very, you know, we, as Canadians, we've seen it on the other side. Uh, and, and again, I'm a little bit older, but Canada used to rule hockey, right? But here comes the U.S. and Sweden and Finland and the Czech Republic and et cetera, et cetera. And it's the same in basketball. It's just we're one of the countries trying to come at the U.S. now. And whether it's Lithuania or Latvia or Spain or France or Argentina or uh, Germany, Serbia, like it, it's all over the place. And, and it's wonderful to have it be to have basketball be such a global sport. And Canadians still kind of have this little brother complex a little bit in a lot of ways to the U.S. Um, so. Um, you know, for Canada to be a, a threat and a contender and to actually have beaten a, a United States team to win the bronze and to, you know, to qualify for the Olympics. And now you've got the possibility of saying, boy, they could play LeBron and Steph and KD and guys like that. Um, it, it's pretty cool. And they have their own MVP candidate on the team in Shea Gildas-Alexander. But this World Cup, the whole world now knows about him in, in yeah. the way that he plays. How how do you see him develop through this tournament and take that star turn? Phenomenal. Um, you know, first team all NBA. So as you know, and as people should know, like this wasn't a shock. I mean, you don't score 31 points a game in the NBA and get named first team all NBA unless you're a stud. But this was Shea's, um, you know, first huge step on the international scene. To my, I think he, he had played in like three of the qualifier games for this World Cup. But I think, you know, one was against the Virgin Islands, like against other America's teams. And those were games in which Canada was heavily favored and the stage wasn't nearly as as big as it was here. I sit on the air a couple of times and I stand by this for some of these guys, even guys who have been in the NBA for a number of years. 
this might have been the, the biggest stage or the most pressure they'll feel. You know, if you're at the free throw line with eight seconds left and your team is up two on Spain, there's a whole country watching you and literally a whole country watching those games. So I think it's always a little bit different. And Canada actually came out tight in the first quarter of their game against France. And, and I get it. Firstly, it's France to get like they're great. Um, and I, I think these guys had to grow into the role. Dylan Brooks was actually the guy who I think dragged everybody and Kelly too. But Dylan Brooks has such a big uh, personality in a number of different ways. But from a Canadian perspective on this team, he dragged everybody's confidence up to his level. He just refused to let anybody believe they didn't belong here or they weren't tough enough or, or anything like that. And then Shea just took over. Game after game after game, he would start slow, get better in the second, dominate the third, and and lead them to victory in the fourth. Um, FIBA basketball, as you know, is much more physical at times than the NBA. And I said on the air and maintain that a 40-minute FIBA game is much more demanding than a 48-minute 48, 48 NBA game. Alvin Williams, who did the games with me, spent eight years in the NBA and he'd never really called FIBA games before. This was kind of an introduction to FIBA basketball for him. He just kept looking at me during timeouts and halftime, like his eyes would get big. And he was like, this is tough. Like in the NBA, if you're on the weak side, you can kind of stand and look because it's all happening over there. It doesn't work that way in FIBA. Guys are constantly screening and cutting and bumping and passing and backdoor cuts. And Shea adjusted to all of it. He he was the head of the snake. Every other You could see as the tournament went on, other countries – tried to blitz him and take the ball out of his hands and make somebody else beat them because he's so good. And if you put everybody on the end line and said race to the other end of the court, I don't think Shea wins that race. But if you say to him, get to that spot on the floor, nobody in the NBA gets to their spot better than Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Um, played a ton of minutes, made all of his free throws. Uh, and again, he didn't do it alone. Uh, Dylan Brooks was monumental in this tournament for Canada. I've never seen him play better. He scored 39 points in the Pons medal game in a 40-minute game uh, against some really good players. Just kept knocking down threes, getting to the line, keeping his composure. So uh, it was cool. But Shea, yeah, Shea is definitely, um, he's the face of the program. Not only is he the best player, but he's the guy who is so invested in this and wants everybody else to play. He's like the lead recruiter for this program, too. And the FIBA rules shouldn't set up for such a good game from Shea because you can have no three-second. You could plant somebody right in the in right. the paint and block right. his shots, but he's still able to slither his way around yeah. and get to the rim or even use his, his mid-range jumper to create space and, and score. He's He's been unbelievable the last year and a half, really. It's yeah, been yeah. he has. He, and, and, and he... Um, it, you're right. You'll watch him make a play, and then you'll see the play and the ball goes in the basket and you're like, I need to see a replay of that. I, I, I remember he was there and then I remember he was there, but what happened in between that? But he's just got a knack for getting there. Now let me tell you about First Colony Mortgage. They've been serving the lending needs of Utah for more than 35 years. As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite, fund, and close mortgage loans all in-house. Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out. First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz.
Was there a little bit of, oh no, here we go again, when Mikhail Bridges rebounds his own free throw miss, gets a three-pointer at the end in the final game against the USA? Yeah, so again, goal number one was qualify for the Olympics. Like, if you would say to a Canadian, you can finish seventh and qualify for the Olympics or finish fifth and not qualify, what do you want to do? Easy. Finish seventh and qualify. Um, So the Spain win was the enormous one. Um, but then when they, you know, when they lose to Serbia, now they're playing for bronze. And you're always wondering in a tournament like this, after losing in a semifinal, can you mentally get up for a bronze medal game? And they did it. They can't, the, the game against the U.S. actually was their best first quarter of any of the games they played in the tournament. Um, and, and again, the U.S. was shorthanded. We all understand that. But they're playing great. They're up 8, 10, 12, 8, 10, 12. And then the U.S. makes a comeback. Um, and that unbelievable sequence at the end where not only do they get the missed free throw, Bridges himself gets his own missed free throw and hits a turnaround three from the corner that's probably like a 10% shot. You know, you take that shot 10 times, how many times does it go in? So absolutely a 1,000%. Um, there, there was an, oh, no, here we go again. And from my understanding, and I think it was Kelly, said in the huddle, guys, how much of a blessing is this that we get to play together for five more minutes? Because that's the feeling they had on that team. Um, and, and sure, I wanted them to win gold, but I actually think the way it ha- happened from a looking forward perspective or storybook perspective is actually perfect. They didn't end with a loss. They ended with a win. They got a medal. They took down a major opponent, and they did it in a way in which their uh, their resolve was tested, severely tested. Like, how many times have guys like me said going to overtime, well, this team's got the momentum now, you know, and then Canada came out and blew them away in overtime, just played great in overtime. And and I think there will be a moment in the Olympics next year where their backs will be against the wall, and Kelly or Dylan or Shea will look at the other guys and say, we've done this before, guys. We've done this before. And, And they had to do it a few times in this tournament, so... Yeah, I wanted them to win gold, but actually I think to take their chances into Paris into account, I think the way this happened actually was perfect. How does this set up for the Olympics and for for Paris? What is the outlook for Jordi Fernandez and this team? Uh, The outlook is very, very good. So what they did, because they wanted to get a commitment from guys, was in 2021, and I believe they kind of got together at NBA Summer League in Vegas, and Nick Nurse was still the coach then, right? Um, Jordi Fernandez only took over. Uh, a little while ago, um, they asked the guy, well, they said to the guys, you have to make a three-year commitment. You have to play some of the summer windows in the FIBA Americas, which are the qualifiers for the World Cup, and then the World Cup, and then the Olympics, unless you've got a really, really, really good reason. You know, Jamal Murray tore an ACL, really good reason. Then won an NBA championship, was at training camp this year, but medically, and I don't know who made the decision, but it was decided it wasn't in his best interest to play. So Jamal Murray is one of the 14 who made that commitment. The seven NBA guys who were on this team made that commitment. There are other guys who did not make the commitment. Um, Andrew Wiggins, Trey Lyles, Brandon Clark. All those guys are Canadian. I don't know if Canada basketball, if Andrew Wiggins calls up the CEO of Canada basketball and says, I want in now, I I don't know what they'll do. Um, Because, you know, there are players who made a commitment to Canada and Canada made a commitment to them. So can you look somebody in the eye who played in qualifier games and played in the World Cup and say, 
thank you very much for your service, but we're going to take this guy. I don't know. the that, That's a complicated thing. Um, you know, and every country deals with it to a certain extent, but I think Canada is a little bit more because like they actually signed contracts. This was no joke. They did this in Vegas in, in 2021. So I think Jamal Murray is an automatic because he did make the commitment. He was at training camp. Like he has shown he wants to be a part of what's going on here. Um, it's just he wasn't able to play in, in in the tournament this summer. You add Jamal Murray to Shea Gilgis Alexander in the backcourt, and you know now you're you know we haven't even mentioned R.J. Barrett's name, right? Like R.J. Barrett's yeah. on this team too. Um, you know they're loaded at the guard positions, loaded at the wing. If they get Wiggins, loaded, loaded at the wing positions. They don't have a ton of size. They've got a Lick and Powell up front, and then after that they have Kyle Alexander who plays in Europe, and Zach Eady, the reigning wooden award winner at Purdue University, um, those were their two backup bigs. They could use a little bit more depth size, a little more size, um, but the size that Canada has were mostly guys who didn't sign these contracts. So I, I don't know what they're going to do. I'm hoping the seven NBA guys who were on this team are there, and, and with Jamal Murray, that makes it eight. And after that, uh, there will be some hard decisions to make, but there is a lot of talent. Like Chris Boucher is an NBA player. He's he's from Canada as well. And then the last thing is there's another wave. These guys were in college, so they weren't even asked to sign these contracts two years ago. They weren't on the radar quite yet, but Andrew Nemhart is Canadian. Shaden Sharp is Canadian. Benedict Matherin is Canadian. Like Those are three studs, young stud players. I don't know if they will be included this time. If not, they will be leaders in the next window, I'm sure. So it, it's very exciting because every time we hear there's another wave coming, there's another wave coming, and that's fun for us. And it should be said before I ask you about Holly Rowe and get you out of here, Jordi Fernandez did a phenomenal job with this team. He's, he's going to be an NBA head coach soon. Yes. So here's what Canadians are worried about now. What if a, an NBA team offers them a head coaching job next summer? And says, but it's contingent on, we need you all summer. You can't go to the right. Olympic. We like to worry up here about our basketball. But he did do a phenomenal job. Um, you know, and that's what happened with Nick Nurse, right? The Sixers hired Nick Nurse, and they said to him, we need you. You can't go running around the globe for six weeks. Now, the beauty of Canada qualifying directly out of the World Cup is they don't have to play in one of these last-chance qualifiers. So instead of a seven, eight-week commitment for this, it's probably four or five weeks, hopefully. So... Really, really, really hoping Jordy Fernandez can do this, and, and and I'm assuming that he will. But the first practice was August the 1st. I was at the first practice when he walked out on the court and they got in a circle. And it wasn't like he introduced himself to people. He had had phone calls and Zoom calls. But it started with, okay, RJ, stand over here, and Nikhil, stand over there, and we'll call this play that. And he started putting stuff in. That's, that's when it happens. So... You know, to get the respect, and, and as you know, he had been an assistant coach with Denver for six years, and now is the associate head coach with um, Sacramento. And the fact that he was with Denver, I'm sure Jamal Murray made some phone calls and said, this guy's the guy. You're good. Um, that helped a lot. But I think he did an incredible job. The fact that he's familiar with FIBA ball. Playing Latvia is totally different than playing Serbia, which is totally different than playing Spain. It's not like NBA games where there's a, there are more similarities from team to team. Every country is a totally different style. So he stayed calm in the huddles uh, with a couple of uh, very uh, amazing, except like in the first quarter against Spain, uh, against France, I'm sorry, first game. They're down 10, like four minutes in. These guys, he goes, guys, we're down 10. What the? And he's, he finishes the sentence and he got their attention. 
And I give him credit. He's like yelling at NBA, star NBA players in the first quarter of the first real game he's ever coached them. But he has a wonderful way about him. Um, and uh, he's, he's done great. He's He's gone from a guy nobody in Canada had ever heard of two months ago to like, I think they're going to put him on the $5 bill now. He's so popular. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait for that. Uh, before I let you go, basketball, Hall of Famer, Holly Rowe, women's basketball, college basketball, in your experience, being oh, one of her broadcast partners on the college side, do you have a good Holly Rowe story? Well, two things come to mind. So, you know, we'll be doing a game, say we're in Tucson, say we're doing UCLA, Arizona, and she and I are, you know, walking into practice or walking out of the game, and I'm like, what's next for you? And she says, oh, I'm in Auburn tomorrow. And I'm, tomorrow? Yep. <laughs> You're in Auburn tomorrow. We're in Tucson. But Holly is unbelievable that way. My the first uh, my the one that pops to mind is during COVID. Jay Billis and I were calling the Champions Classic, which I believe was in Indianapolis, but we were doing it remotely from a studio in Charlotte. Holly was on site, and the Wi-Fi in the building where the studio was, where Jay and I were doing the game, um, crapped out in, in the middle of the game. We were talking, and all of a sudden we didn't hear anything. And we're looking around, and we're on talk back to our producer, and he goes, "I don't know what's going on. You're gone. You're gone." And Holly was on site as a reporter, and we couldn't hear it, but she just started doing play-by-play because that's what you had to do. She was the yeah. only option. So I don't know if you've ever talked to her about that. Uh, it probably aged her about five years when somebody just said, go, you're doing play-by-play -play now. But um, I'm sure she did a great, great job. They came back to us, I think, about five minutes later. But um, uh, Holly can handle anything, and, and I'm sure that came in handy that night. On the energy piece, the first time I met her, she had come from uh, the WNBA finals and we had jazz media day at the arena. And that's a, a 12 hour day, like all day. And she comes with the energy. I don't yeah. know where she gets it, but she she is a full battery at every event that she's covering. I know it makes me feel badly because I don't. And, and she works. I work hard. She works harder. But. She's the best at what she does, and I'm glad she's gotten all the recognition that she's gotten. He does Canada basketball play-by-play -play for Sportsnet and college basketball for ESPN. He is Dan Schulman on Randball Roundup on utahjazz.com. Dan, thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure. Uh, maybe we'll talk to you again after Kelly leads them to a medal in Paris. Kelly Olympics! <laughs>